Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, first chapter, beginning in verse 18. Will you listen for the word of the Lord? This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we started a series last week called Christmas at Home. We often think of the association of Christmas and home, uh, certainly together, uh, many, in many, many different ways. And, and we've been following uh, kind of the direction, the inspiration of a book uh, called Christmas in the Four Gospel Homes. It's a great book. I'd, I'd recommend you getting it and reading through it. It's really, really insightful. It has some great information. Because, you know, when we, when we think of the Christmas story, often what we're thinking of is the mashup of all the different pieces from the gospel. But the thing is, is that there are certain episodes, certain incidents that only are recorded in one gospel. So this book takes those and separates them out so that we look at Mark and we look at Matthew and Luke and John. And so we look at these separately on their own to see what those, what those say, and then kind of asking the question, imagining the question, what kind of home would that gospel's description of the birth of Jesus inspire? What kind of home would it inspire? Well, I'll just, I'll just uh, cut to the chase. What we're going to uh, be looking at today, the, the type of home would be a Victorian, a Victorian style Many of you are familiar with Victorian-style houses. They were very, very popular uh, in the last half of the, of the 19th century, 1850 to 1900, very popular during that time, uh, characterized uh, by several things uh, on the exterior, like steeply pitched roofs, ornate gables, church-like rooftop, octag- octagonal or round towers and turrets to draw the eye upward, two or three stories, generous wraparound porches, and asymmetry. They weren't, all, they weren't symmetrical. It wasn't like a lot of houses where it, it looks exactly the same on both sides. It, it's asymmetrical, right? Now, the interior design, I love this description I found uh, on, online. The interior of a Victorian period was layered, cluttered, ornate, and eccentric. <laughs> God, sounds like me, I think. Layered, cluttered, ornate, and eccentric. And those, and those interiors often included grand staircases, complicated layouts with multiple rooms, high ceilings, ornately carved wood paneling, decorative fireplaces, decorative wallpaper, and hardwood floors covered with rugs. That's the kind of home to have in mind as we talk about Matthew's description of the birth of Jesus. 
You know, the Gospels were written uh, within and for a particular community of people, right? I mean, the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, weren't, they didn't set out thinking, I-, I want the entire world to read what I'm writing right now. Well, they, I mean, they might have hoped for that, but, but what they were doing was they were trying to write the good news of Jesus Christ in a way that the community that they were associated with would really get it. That's what they were trying to do. That's why they're so different. So Mark, for example, that we talked about last week, um, Mark was likely writing to a crowd within a community that were non-Jewish people. Non-Jewish. So in other words, they wouldn't know about the Hebrew Bible. They would not know about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. They would not know the Ten Commandments. They wouldn't have any connection to that at all, which which is probably why Mark just told the facts, the essentials. This is what happened. The birth narrative wouldn't have been that important to those folks. It was just, this is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus did, who Jesus was. I need you to get that. That was what Mark did. Now, Matthew was probably, most scholars believe, was writing to a Jewish community. So they did understand the Hebrew Bible. They knew the law. They knew the prophets. They knew Abraham and Isaac, etc. They, they, they knew all that. So Matthew would need to write the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, in a way that they would see the connection. That they would see the connection. And so, uh, while uh, Mark uh, was uh, the kind of house that would inspire, was a tiny house, <laughs> where he had no extra room at all, no frills, it was just essential, Matthew would be a Victorian. Matthew works hard to connect the dots for the readers in that Jewish community. We're going to look at three of them that appear in, in chapter 2. There's a lot more, but we're just going to look at three real quick. So in Matthew 2, one of them is fleeing to Egypt. Fleeing to Egypt. You know, after the wise men had visited the Magi, and, they, and when they left, an angel appeared to Joseph and said, get up and take your wife and child to Egypt, because King Herod is not too happy about this, and he will seek you out to do you harm. So go to Egypt. Fly. Get out of here. Go to Egypt. So they escaped to Egypt, and they stayed there till the death of Herod. And so, it, and so the scripture says, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, Matthew's crowd would have thought of Egypt in a couple of different ways. Certainly, they would have thought of it as the place that they had escaped under the leadership of Moses from the cruel Pharaoh in the Exodus. But they also would have remembered a time that they had escaped to Egypt as well, and that was with Joseph. Joseph, you know, with the, the multicolored coat whose brothers hated him. They sold him into slavery. A long, long story we're not going to go into right now, but he ultimately rose in the ranks under Pharaoh. He was deputy to Pharaoh, and because of his insight and vision, he was able to make sure they had food even during the years of famine, not just for them, but they shared that with others in that region, including, including his own estranged family that came for food. So that was an escape to Egypt that greatly, greatly benefited God's people, and so they escaped to Egypt. Secondly was is slaughter of the innocents. That is not a, not a really nice way to put that. 
Herod realized that the Magi had tricked him. The wise men had tricked him because they had said they would come back and tell him where to find this king. But then they were warned not to do that. So they went home a different way, did not tell Herod. He was mad. And so he sent out orders that all of, in, in this region, all of the boys, two years old and younger, were to be eliminated. I'll just do the, the you know, G-rated version of this. Then that was... Then, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, the people hearing this gospel would have connected to the story in Exodus chapter 1 when the Pharaoh had grown so weary and tired of the Hebrew people that he told the midwives when they delivered babies, male babies, you got it, they were to be eliminated. And Moses, remember, his mother Miriam hid him in a basket in the water at the edge of the river. They would have remembered the cruel Pharaoh just as now cruel Herod was doing the very same thing. And the third one is back home to Nazareth. Uh, after it was after they had left Egypt and they were going back to Israel, but but Joseph again was warned in a dream, you don't need to stay here because there's still people seeking to do you harm. So they went to Galilee, to Nazareth, and the scripture says, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. You probably are catching on. Three times in that one chapter. The relationship of the history of the people, and it was fulfilled to fulfill what was said through the prophets. So for that Jewish community, they were they were seeing the connections, they were getting it, right? Matthew's gospel description of Jesus' birth is a way of saying that Jesus' life connects to our life and our histories. That this is not accidental or incidental. This is intentional, an intentional act of God to save Jesus so that Jesus can save the people. And to send the message that no matter how the odds seem stacked against you, as they were stacked against Joseph and Mary and Jesus, God will make a way. So that early crowd would have gotten that. They would have heard that. They would have understood those things clearly when they heard or read the gospel description of Jesus' birth in Matthew. But let's contemporize that just a little bit, right? Because it's a little different for us today, Protestant Christians. Let's contemporize it just a little bit. So, so I just want you to hear a story. It's really it's just a story. Nick and Maria, a couple in their 20s, they got married in June in a beautiful on a beautiful beach, destination wedding, family and friends around them. When it came time, the fall rolled around, and they began to talk about what, what they were going to do for the holidays. How they were, where would they go? What family would they be with? And so as they, as they talked about it, Maria just begged Nick for them to go to, for Christmas to go to Grandpa Matthew's house. Well, after some conversations, well, Nick said, okay, tell you what, we'll go to my family at Thanksgiving and your family at Christmas. This year, we may switch it next year. That's great. Maria was just elated. Now, she did tell him a little bit about Grandpa Matthew. Grandpa Matthew 
lived in a house that had been in the family since the 1880s when it was built. He was the fifth generation person living in that house that the family had had all the way through. And also, Grandpa Matthew was the family genealogist. You know, a lot of us have somebody like that in our family, the person who has researched the family. They've gone to Ancestry.com, and they've done all these things, and they, they can tell you not just names and dates. They can tell you who was connected to whom and how, where they moved, and then they married, and then they divorced, and then they had a kid, and then that, I mean, right? Some of us have those family members, and it's a great wealth of information. Hey, tell me about Uncle Bobby, and boy, that you get the information. So, Grandpa Matthew was the family genealogist. And so they drive, make the drive to Virginia, and they pull up in front of a house where there's already several cars there, and they pull up, and it's this, this large Victorian house. This large Victorian house that you can tell it's been there a long time. And you just look at it and think, man, the stories that house has to tell. They have this big, beautiful house, but it's kind of quirky too because there's a room added on to this side, looks like for no reason, and part of the Part of the wraparound porch is now closed in. So they pull up and they walk up to the door and Maria goes to the door quickly and knocks on the door and just opens the door. No surprises Nick, but just opens the door. And the family is in there and you can hear the noises of kids laughing, playing somewhere and you can hear uh, glasses and plates clanking together and you can hear the football game on the TV and you can hear conversations going on and and people just kind of almost as one get up and and say, Maria! And they all come and give her a big hug and a kiss on the cheek and and they warmly greet Nick as well. And, And because he was in the kitchen doing something, Grandpa Matthew is the last one to get there. And he he hugs he hugs Maria and kisses her on the cheek and hugs Nick as well. And he says, Nick, I need to introduce you to the family. Now, Nick's thinking he's going to start going around the room and telling who's... But no, Matthew, uh, Grandpa Matthew takes him by the elbow and says, come with me. And the family just kind of steps back with, and he notices they're smiling like they know what's going on. And so Grandpa Matthew takes him to down through the people to this long hallway. And as he looks down that hallway, he sees there are, there are just framed photographs on both sides all the way down the long hallway and with the high ceilings i mean from up high to down low just photographs dozens and dozens of photographs in these frames with these pictures of the family right some of us may have some of those in our homes some of us know our grandparents homes are like that we remember those days where all the family photos were in the hallway And so he takes him to the far end where the oldest photographs were and begins to tell about the family. And he tells him as they walk along, and he he tells tells him all the way to the end where it's the most recent pictures. And he doesn't doesn't just point out the ones who were successful, the ones who were wealthy, the ones who whatever. He told the story of all of them. You know, there were those that he would say, yeah, this one was very successful in what they did. And this one was just always indecisive, never could decide anything. This one was pretty eccentric. This one made some bad decisions and made some mistakes in life that affected a lot of the family. This one was really courageous. He told the stories of all of them, not just the positive ones. And, and, then, and then Grandpa Matthew explained, in order to understand us and our stories, you need to know where we come from and how all these stories connect. So now we just need a photograph of you 
and Maria to hang on the wall. Now, the feeling you might have gotten from hearing that story, that depiction, might have been the kind of feeling that that Matthew's audience would have gotten when they read about Jesus Christ and the connection of what it means to their long history and their long faith and all their family members and all their stories, the good things and the bad things, and how all that came together in the person of Jesus. It's like Matthew was saying, this is not just some guy who did some things. He's one of us. He's family. His story is our story. We're here both part as our, of, as our, of our own families, of course, but also connected to the household of God. We're also connected in a way that, uh, that binds us together through the Holy Spirit. And so, so you might say that we, in this thing we call church, that we might look, uh, what was that description, uh, layered, cluttered, ornate, and eccentric? <laughs> There might be complicated layouts of multiple rooms in our life together. But it's the life that God has put together for us. We give God thanks. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for the ways that you've been good to us and the ways that you have made possible this life abundant, this life eternal through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the stories and the connections that, are, that we have with your people through all time. And that all those stories connect and all those stories matter. And we thank you that Jesus, one of us, is family. We pray, God, that that would be made more and more apparent to us throughout this season as we pray it in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.